This is the call for leadership. As I said, I could stop there and say, okay, respond. But I want to say, if there are three battles we have to fight, we looked at the battle for the word, the battle for family, the battle over the whole ex- uh, area of sexual purity. This evening, I want to suggest to you, and I want to have some fun with you. Amen? Not so sure about that one. Amen. I want to talk about three attitudes. Three attitudes that you'll need to cultivate if you're going to be that man or that woman for God in your local church or as you go church. There are three key attitudes. If you don't get this right, forget it. Forget going church planning. Forget going home to your church and saying, hey, let's see what happens. These three attitudes will change your life and change your church and be instrumental in helping us achieve our mission. These three attitudes are going to bite us in the bum tonight. The first attitude is this, humble submission to authority. Ouch. Second attitude, hard work in the workplace. Youch. And the third one is this, faith in the greater purposes of God. All of these you can see in the life of Joseph. Open your Bibles. I want to follow a little bit of Joseph's life here. Genesis chapter 37. Verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. The sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now let's turn on to chapter 39. It says here, in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. This is in Potiphar's house now. He's been sold into slavery. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Joseph gave his dad a bad report about his brothers. That sounds a little bit mean. You're saying, that sounds a bit like my brother, my sister, a bit sneaky. And Joseph, just a little bit later on in Genesis 37, shares his dream. I've suggested over breakfast one morning. And we all know the wonderful musical, that I close my eyes. No, drew back the curtain. Okay, 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 okay. let me not get into this. It's not meant, you meant to follow the worship leader, not the uh, preacher. I often wonder, I've heard, a, I've heard so many sermons on how Joseph is arrogant, Joseph is stuck up. Who on earth does Joseph think he is? I want to ask the question, what was Joseph supposed to do with those dreams? Where was he supposed to go with those dreams? You see, when we have prophecies, and we all know how we interpret prophecy, that prophecy is to be shared in the community, in the community with elders, with fathers who can weigh prophecy and help us to come to place. Actually, I'm not so sure we don't give Joseph a very hard time. Because if he hadn't shared this, how do his brothers ever come to the place they do later on? Understanding that God meant those dreams for good. 
for the saving of many lives. And I don't want anybody here tonight, as they respond to this call, and I, as I said, I'm believing God, many will respond, taking their personal prophecies, their personal dreams, their personal ambitions, and keeping it isolated from the church leaders, isolated from the church community, isolated from an apostolic heart. These gifts are powerful. They are life-changing. But they're always to be weighed. They're always to be shared so that others can help and, and fuel the fuel of faith to inspire us to live to the very full purposes of God in them. The challenge for us in our churches today is there is a famine in the land, the famine of the economy is an obvious one, but the famine of the family, the famine of truth, the famine of health. This nation's in a sick state, isn't it? We're a nation of fatties. We are. We've never been so educated, never been so fat. I, was, I, went, I'm not kidding, I went through boots the day before I came out here. There was a lady on the scales of the scales in boots who was a little large. And I couldn't believe it, but she took her shoes off and looked at the thing. Then she took her socks off. I, I was so tempted to stop and just have a word. Just cut out the donuts. Just cut it. Your socks aren't going to make a heaven or earth difference to your weight. But I'll tell you this, although that is a funny story, it's a, it's a parable of our nation. We're looking for all the right answers in the wrong places. We're straining and striving to, to do things in our own strength instead of coming back to God as a nation. And we need to hear the truth. And the truth is heard through the people of God. Now I want to talk about humble submission to authority. I can remember a young man, uh, as I was sitting in my office, and a young man was decorating just outside my office. He hadn't been a Christian that long. And he leant his head around the door and he said to me, I could do your job. And, you know, it's always a bit, sorry, I could, I could do your job. He said, it's easy. I said, yeah, tell me, tell me a bit more, please. He said, well, all you've got to do is you stand in front of everybody and you tell them what to do. I'd love to do that. must be great. How easy can a job get, is what he said. Well, what was wrong with this young man in his attitude is there was no humility. You know, when there's no humility, when God calls, it puts you on a head-on collision with God, because God actually opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What did Joseph do? Let me illustrate a number of things Joseph did in terms of what does humility look like. This will help you enormously. Everyone responding tonight, every single person needs to respond to this because every one of you is part of the local church. And part of the call tonight is to make your local churches red hot. Make your churches better. Everybody want to do that? Amen. Here's some helpful things in terms of humility. Firstly, Joseph believed God's vision for his life. That is an act of humility. It is not humble to be talked out of God's will for your life. It's stupidity. The youngest would lead the eldest. He would have authority over his brothers. And Joseph seems to understand the call to leadership 
But he also understood it was a call of humility, a humbleness to serve. A true leader is one who is almost forced into the position of leadership by an inward pressure of the Holy Spirit. As Sangster said, this is the will of God for me. I didn't choose it. I sought to escape it. But it has come. Now let me say it very clearly. We sing a song sometimes saying, all ambition now has gone. Please never include a godly ambition to do the will of God. Anyone who sets his heart on being an overseer desires a noble task. That's a noble thing. If there's stirring into your heart for leadership, there's a stirring in your heart for eldership, if it's a magnetic attraction, you think, I, I feel so rough, who am I? And yet there's that pull of God. It's not proud or arrogant to respond to that in humility and say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. Whatever the public profile. An ambition which has at its centre the glory of God and the welfare of the church is not only legitimate, it is positively praiseworthy. We need leaders in the church. We need godly leaders in the church. We need bold leaders in the church. We need humble leaders in the church. Not big heads. But humble leaders who said, I've heard the word of God, I'm just responding. Lay my life on the altar. Secondly, he overcame the elder brother syndrome. I believe in this room tonight there are many, many people who need to overcome the elder brother syndrome. Joseph's brother said, excuse me, there's a pecking order here. One, two, three, four, eleven. You're the runt of the litter. Know your place. When we're finished, you can have some. Even his own dad rebukes him. And the sad truth is, the elder brother is often the loudest voice in our church. Do you hear this? God calls us. God calls leaders to take great steps of faith. Your leaders are going to come back, just to warn you, members. Your leaders are going to come back from this, accelerate, and they're going to say, we're going to go for this. We're going to believe God for this. We're going to champion this. We're going to get out in the gospel. We're going to see signs and wonders. We're going to do... The elder brother voice will be heard immediately. Let me promise you, here comes the elder brother, conservative trustee, deacon, even elder, who has no confidence that money will come in. The older man or woman who criticizes the youth pastor's changes to the format of the children's works. The elder brother of the church, actually in our nation, who has no confidence in the Bible, who rejects the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not arrogant to say that the expression of Christianity needs to change across the world. That is an act of humility. That is an act of honesty. Because when you see Roman Catholicism in the Iberian Peninsula, in Spain and Portugal, you weep. That's how people see Christianity, harsh legalism, a religion which resembles witchcraft. When you go to India and you see Hinduism and you see boiling hot oil has been poured on a child's face to enhance They're begging powers. Or you see little children, little girls in cages like dogs who are sold as prostitutes in the name of the Hindu religion. I tell you, it needs to change. The expression of Christianity, we want to see it changed. We want to see Jesus coming into the different parts we serve. 
Here is even the health, wealth and prosperity. We need to see that change. That affects so much of India and Africa and North America. Where believe in Jesus and be happy and have a portion, have a life without any problems. That is not good theology. Theology which is honoring to the Bible includes suffering. Yes, it includes the supernatural miraculous. Don't let's rob what we've heard from Vinu over these two days. We need to be reaching constantly for heaven to break in on earth. But we also need compassion on those that are suffering. That is the truth of the glorious gospel. Joseph understood this. To have authority, you have to learn to submit to authority. You must follow if you are ever to lead If you're saying yes to leadership, I want to be very practical here, very provocative. If you're saying yes to leadership tonight, if you're saying, God, there's a magnetic pull, almost like pulling him out of my seat tonight to come down the front, let me tell you something very practical that you can do. It may be a call, by the way, to to church leadership. It may be a call to be the prime minister of the country. Maybe the call to be a headmistress or a headmaster. Maybe the call to be a governor. Or the health director. These are all important, as we'll see later. Or they're all important full-time calls on a Christian's life. But if you are feeling that pull tonight, let me tell you how you can practically get ready for it. Serve another man's vision. See, Joseph was 17 years old when God spoke to him. He's nearly 30 by the time he comes to a place of authority. He knew what it was to serve another's vision as if it was his own in order to be trusted with his own vision by God. If you're in that age bracket from 17 to 30, why don't you stand right now? 17 to 30. These, can I say to you, these are some of the most important years of your life. These are years when your generation lose their head. They lose their head and they lose their virginity and they lose everything else. They lose complete sense of God's purpose on their life. And tonight the living God is here to speak to you and to say, why don't you make your life stand up for Jesus Christ? Why don't you serve another man's vision? Go back to your churches as you go back from this place and say to your pastors and elders, whatever it is, If it's cleaning the toilets, I don't care what it is, I want to serve your vision full-heartedly. I want to see your vision become a reality. I'd say that's the best way, the most best way you can ever prepare for any call of leadership on your life. Lord Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name for these precious ones tonight. I pray, God, let them magnetize them tonight to the call of God on their life. I thank you they're here. I thank you, God, we've got young people in this tent tonight. And I pray, God, sovereignly speak to each one of their hearts tonight about your plan for their life. Let no one rob them. Lord, may they renew their minds tonight. May they not lose their minds by the spirit of the age, but be caught up with the spirit of God and that pull of God into your kingdom purposes. Amen. Amen. Okay, by the way, always think, no matter who you are, how old you are, always think in terms of five and ten years when God says, hey, I want you to do this. We always like to think, hey, God's called me, tomorrow I'm going to make a difference. 
years and years roll by in God's furnace where he gets a man or a woman in a place that he can use them. The second thing, and this is going to really offend you. I wonder if I should skip it. What do you think? You, I don't want to lose... I don't lose my popularity. Someone said to me in the shower, you're the most unpopular man on site. I thought, why? <laughs> it's like the weather, calling us camping. How many, how many things do I need to list? It's like, okay, I'm going to make myself even more unpopular now. Hard work is godly. And you don't believe me, let's turn to Genesis chapter 39. And Joseph now has not gone, he's gone from uh, Potiphar's household where he was there. How long, how long do you think he was in Potiphar's household? Do you know he was there? Ten years. See, we read it, we think, oh, he's only there a minute. He's only there a month. Ten years. And now he's in prison. <laughs> and in verse... 20, it says this, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I find this one of the great secrets of Joseph's life. We love the dreams. We love singing about his dreams. But we can miss this very important part. With his father, he gave his father a bad report. I believe he was showing integrity. I believe his brothers, by all that is said about when Jacob prophesies over them, his brothers were quite a bad lot in one way or another. And I reckon Joseph was doing nothing more than giving an account. Here's Dad, this is, this is what they're doing. We find him faithful to his father. He was going on long errands across bandit country. He was, he was faithful. He was put into Potiphar's household. He was faithful. He had to learn a language. He, had to, he, he obviously graduated. He, he probably started, I don't know what you'd have started with back in those days in Egypt, Egyptian. It would have been something menial. Cleaning the toilets, mucking out the stables. Joseph worked at it. He worked at it so well that the master said, this guy, I'm going to use this guy for everything. This guy knows how to have the house speak and span. This guy knows how to look after people. This guy knows how to look after figures. Joseph goes into prison. Thrown into prison. Now this is a good time to sulk. You and I would be sulking. Most of the people in this, most of the people in this tent would be sulking. Would be, <laughs> where's this guy? It's a fat lot of good this is. Could you help with the slops? No. Could you help with the prisoner who's got this wound? No. I'm out of this. Forget, what does it do? We're out serving, working hard for God. But he doesn't. He gets into the nitty gritty and refuses to grow lazy. You know, this is a big thing for the 17 to 30 year olds and for the teenagers. Because it is a spoilt generation. And that spoiltness in terms of our material prosperity can creep into the church. 
And our children can start asking, what's in it for me? Just want to do things that are for me. Just interested in me. That's not the heart of the Christian. How can I serve God? How can I bless others is the heart of the gospel. Here's some things you need to know about work. Number one, no work is beneath your dignity. Do I hear an amen? Ricky Gervais in the office playing David Brent is not a role model for you to follow. Neither is Catherine Tate, in case you think I'm being sexist. Because I know this generation, am I bothered? Do I look bothered? Bothered am I? I, I absolutely hate that character. I've seen it in teen, everyone's going to start looking at each other now. Bothered? Am I bothered? God told Adam, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over it. You know, God gave perfect man work. Do you know, God in heaven is working now. He's digging over the topsoil of your heart. He works. And he says that his children should work. And no work is beneath our dignity. Joseph understood that. Wherever he was, he just got stuck in. He served. He did the menial. He made sure that everything flowed together, much like many people across this site have made our our weekend so enjoyable. Why? Because they've served. They've just given their heart to it that we would be blessed. And I'm so grateful. We'll thank them tomorrow. We'll also have your leaders up here tomorrow because I want us to pray for our church leaders before we go back, okay? Question, is work beneath your dignity, paid or unpaid? See, we've grown up in a benefit culture, a rights culture. No one is no longer interested in who's paying for it. It's just my right to have a house. It's my right to have the doll. It's my right to have this. No, those rights have been bought by a previous Christian generation. We have responsibilities. Christians, we have a responsibility to work. Whatever it is, however menial it is, even if it's unpaid work, we have a responsibility. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. Heather and I are chatting about keeping bees. I'm not sure it's a good idea. I was stung today by a wasp. But there are no... I've read up all about bees, okay? I'm a bit of a bee expert. There are no slackers in the beehive. In fact, the only slackers I could find in the beehive are dead bees. You're either working for the whole or you're dead. I don't think that's a bad thing for us. That's why the proverbs, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Industry is godly. Industry that benefits the whole community is godly. Industry in the God's church, which we are doing and serving for the bettering of the whole, is godly. Question. Do you love your bed too much? You're all thinking, right now, I'd like to go back. Do you robustly defend your bed from all intruders in the morning? Do you have this little thing going on where the alarm goes beep, 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 and you bang on the snooze? 
And you go through this thing in your mind, well, I reckon it only take me five minutes to get up, have a shower, shave, two minutes to eat my breakfast. Beep, 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 bang! I'm sure I can do it in 30 seconds. <laughs> do you have that battle? My children's, well, my boys' beds are both from Ikea, which are quite fitting, really, because it's easy to get into, but it takes an ever so long time to get out of the thing. (laughs) I want to say, in all seriousness, Christians, there is a battle. If you know me for any length of time, Winchester used to make fun of me. Heather and I would go to bed at 10 o'clock to get up at 6 We still fight those disciplines. I know if I go to bed at 11, 11.30, I just can't get up early. I get up early to meet with God. I've done it since I was a young Christian, 15 years old. I'm now 48 years old. Those disciplines can last a lifetime. They're important disciplines. And what are those disciplines for? Not to be religious, not to be a good little boy. They're there to give God time at the beginning of the day. Don't love your bed so much that you rob yourself with time with God. Question, is schoolwork or university work beneath your dignity? Do you say, I'll work hard when I get in the office? Rubbish. Don't be deceived. God is not interested in your grade. He's interested in your attitude. How hard you work. Question, young students, are you hard work for your tutor Or do you work hard for your tutor for the glory of God? Question, is making a cup of coffee or working in McDonald's beneath your dignity? I've watched people in my short life get promoted and they start to look down on others, on other menial tasks and those who do them. Jesus said it like this, He that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful in that which is greatest. We need to be excellent in everything we do. Mayor Giuliani, he gave this advice when he wrote his his autobiography, sweat the small stuff. Sweat the small stuff. See something you need doing in the church? Don't complain. Do it. There's a broken window. Oh, who's, who's fixing that? That's been there for three weeks. We'll change it. And that light bulb. And the toilets there, mucky. Well, wash them, clean them. Make your church brilliant by your attitude of service. Be like your dentist or hygienist. I can never believe they're more interested in my teeth than I am. Aren't they? I notice there's a tooth on your bottom left that you're just missing. But my teeth! What are you getting so hit up about? They're concerned for my good. Are you concerned for your church's good? Are you looking out? for one another, to serve and to make the church, make your office, make the place you go to school a better place. Secondly, and this is huge, there is no sacred or secular divide with work. Amen? You don't believe this, I know. You really don't believe this. You honestly think that standing up here, God is, ah, this is interesting. Do you honestly think that God with Joseph's life, there's Joseph and he's mucking out the old horses, there's a whole load of poo and it's getting all over his feet and God's the Holy Spirit, Jesus having a chat. What's he doing? He's doing stables and that. Let me know when anything happens. 
like watching the channel. Oh, he's, he's Prime Minister. Oh, Prime Minister, let's all gather around. Well, hey, there he is. We're all interested in Joseph, the Prime Minister. I want to say God is interested in every part of our lives and how we work for him. We work for an audience of one. And God isn't more interested in what we do in church than he is what you do in your office or in your schoolroom. What you do in your private life, what you do in your hobby. He doesn't say that is more spiritual, that is less spiritual. I want to challenge wrong thinking and Christian vocabulary has crept in. He is in full-time Christian work. Meaning he, he's a missionary or he's a pastor. I tell you, if you're a bus driver in Jesus' name, you're in full-time Christian work. If you're a nurse in a hospital, you are in full-time Christian work. If you are wiping a bum in a hospice, it's no less spiritual than pastoring a disgruntled member of the church. In fact, it's quite similar, truth to tell. Digging, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I know I'm going to get into trouble. (laughs) Digging your garden, that wasn't in my notes. Digging your garden, I'll keep to my notes, is no less spiritual than the preacher turning over the topsoil of the congregation's heart. You and I do different things, but they're all important to God. I've just got to do my very best to serve you, and you've got to do your very best to serve one another, and both of us can serve God in that. The average life, you have 36 million minutes, apparently. Unfortunately, you're going to sleep 12 of those. That leaves you 24. The average person spends 13 million of those 24 million in work. And you'll only spend about a million in a meeting like this or in your church meeting or a cell group. Here's the point. Make those 13 million minutes count. You are in full-time Christian work. You are a full-time missionary. You have been allocated by God your office, your classroom, your hospital space, your street. You've been allocated it by Almighty God and said that alone is your area of harvest field. That alone is your area to influence for King Jesus. People watch us. They watch us so closely and they want to know What we say, we match up with how we live. So when you're going from this place today, don't think, oh, it's all about what goes on on Sunday. It isn't. It's what goes on throughout the whole week. Every one of those minutes is important to God. You are a full-time missionary for Jesus Christ. So am I. Tell the person next to you, you're a full-timer. And by the way, I just want to offer a health warning. That gets us, if we understand Joseph, that gets us into trouble. I once uncovered a a bit of a sort of a, a wrong thing that was going on in a building practice. And I blew the whistle. It was just something, there was some fraud going on. And I was a young, up and coming surveyor. And I said to my authority, I said, this person, this company is cheating us. And so the, the whistle was blown. And uh, I can remember in an office, on a site, on a building site, and uh, there was r- r- rumours that the, build, the contractor, because of this, was going to go bust. And this uh, surveyor friend of mine said, do you think we're safe? I said, oh, we 
what are you going to do? And with that, it was quite funny, with that, a scaffold pole came through the window, right across my desk. And I looked out, and there were two laborers jumping up and down on the roof of my car, bouncing on it. And my car got lower, the roof got lower. I drove home like one of the Snow White Seven Dwarfs that night. In fact, it was so funny that the, the, the Echo ran a little article on it with me behind the driving wheel. I tell you, standing up for truth can lead you into hot water. But we should have integrity. And we should work with integrity. Finally, work with zeal and knowledge. Joseph seems to be aware he was in God's classroom for 13 years, learning and passing God's exams. He became good with figures. He was good at maths. He was an able administrator. He was zealous, but he was also skilled. I'm just not arguing tonight to be zealous for God. I'm asking you to be skilled for God. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. We hear that quite often. I'm not sure when you've got enough to be out of danger, but a, a, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Don't just go half-cocked at things. Pharaoh's in a mess. Magicians are in a tears. They couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. I want you to notice, go back and read this narrative. Joseph, before he appears before Pharaoh, goes and washes himself. He shaves himself. He cut his hair. Why does he do that? He respected authority. For Egyptians, they invented waxing before it was invented. For an Egyptian, short hair, shaven faces was very important. In fact, anyone with a beard was meant to be a pauper or a beggar in Egyptian culture. Joseph knew that. Joseph respected authority. He didn't come into Pharaoh with the long hair and, hey, man, you know, I'm going to be who I am. Hi, Pharaoh. No, he respected Pharaoh. He got himself ready and he came before Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, only God can interpret. It's not nothing to do with me. It's God. But nevertheless, God's given me a gift. Seven years, Pharaoh, of lottery wins. Seven years of financial meltdown. God says, plan and act now. Get a good man. Get some governors. Divide up your land. Start collecting now. So much wisdom in so little time. I guess it must have taken Pharaoh five minutes to go, who could that be? Let me just think. Yeah, Joseph. You look like the guy. And Joseph finds himself out of prison into prime minister. Let me ask you some questions finally on work. Are you still learning? Are you growing better at your job? It says of Jesus, he grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. And let me finish with a real challenging concern I have for full-time Christian leaders. There was a time in this nation where we had one-man ministry, where pastors were burning out. They carried so much of a load, and we realized the importance of team. We rediscovered rest we looked at sabbaticals, we talked about study breaks, and we talked about pensions, all which were good and are good. But my concern is, just like the world, they have become a right. And church leaders can be removed from their hard-working flocks, and yet berating them for not being there at a meeting. And yet they have Saturday, Sunday, half a Sunday, all of Monday off. Working for the church, pastors, is a huge privilege. Massive privilege. I count it a privilege every time I uh, stand before my congregation. But it's not my right. Being salary is not my right. 
And we deserve it. We owe it to our congregations to be men who work, women who work hard, who sweat the small stuff for the glory of God. The final point I'm going to make here before we respond, and we're going to have a separate area for responding in this, is responding in this is faith in God's greater purposes. I want you to turn finally to Genesis 45. You know, the brothers have gone backwards and forwards. Joseph had his little ruse. He's been testing the heart of his brothers to find out if they really are repentant of what they did to him. And in Genesis 45, he could no longer, Joseph could no longer control himself, verse 1. And he cried out, Hey, everyone, leave me, my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been, neither famine, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I can never, ever read this. When I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and of course it's in January, I can never read this without a huge lump coming in my spirit. Often... I will cry at this point. Because Joseph, as you've read the narrative, has just it's gone from bad to worse. And even that little cry of Joseph's in prison when he interprets those the butler and the baker says, Remember me. Please, butler, remember me when you get before Pharaoh, just say there's a person in prison. Please just remember me. And another year it says another year goes by. Oh I feel for Joseph so much. The purpose of God come about. All those dark years of pain and slavery and imprisonment, those hellish moments when he was tempted to say, God doesn't care, God has forgotten me, were now rewarded. And somebody came and opened that door and said, Pharaoh is calling for you. It's almost a Roman-like quotation. You intended me harm, but God intended good. Romans 8:28. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I know a huge number of people in this tent. Well, I know in this tent are people with cancer. I know in this tent are people who have lost their job. I know in this tent there are people this year who have been bereaved. I know in this tent there are people who are barren. I know in this tent there are people who suffer from depression, people who have been abused, and people who have known moral failure. And I honour you for your faith and trust in God tonight. Because even when you've seen others rejoicing, at God's deliverance, at God's salvation, 
you've kept pressing through the crowd. And here we have one of the greatest challenges as Christians in our attitude. That we must never play God or put God in a dock and judge him as unfair, as powerless or even wicked. The argument that is raging outside this tent is that if God cannot be both good and powerful, a God of love cannot be a God of judgment. They contradict. If God is so good, why suffering? If he's all powerful, why not stop this evil now? Life of the believer can seem so unfair. Just you think, every one of you tonight, of your church, think of those who are in prison. Prison of singleness, prisoners of barrenness, prisoners of drug or depression, prisoners of disappointment, prisoners of marital breakdown. And how those people will have cried out to God in their misery and their anguish, where is God? What is God doing? It is in these moments, my friends, we must turn in faith to God's word. And examine men like Joseph, because his prison was a real prison. This isn't a make-believe story. Those years were real years of what we might perceive as wasted life, but weren't wasted years in God. His family rejected him. Heaven seemed like brass, but Joseph dignified the trial. And there came a day when God himself opened Joseph's door. You know, just because evil or suffering appears pointless does not mean it is so to God. You might not imagine any good reason why God allows something bad to happen, but it doesn't mean there can't be one. In 1989, never forget it, a phone call came through that Greg Haslam, who was pastor of the church, I was a deacon back then, had been rushed into hospital and it looked likely he would die within the next few hours. As deacons, we knelt and we cried out to God. We wept. Ruth came back later to say that there had been marginal improvement, only to get a phone call the following day that he'd relapsed and it looked like he would die the next few hours. We gathered again and cried out to God. i never forget when Ruth came in on one of these occasions and she said he'd regained consciousness for a few minutes, Greg did, and he beckoned Ruth, who was in a right state, in the intensive care unit, he beckoned her over to him. And as she knelt to his face to listen to what he wanted to say, he said this, Dignify the trial, Ruth. Dignify the trial. The only words he spoke to her, Dignify the trial. I honour people in this room tonight who have done and are doing just that tonight. Bill Gates recently gave a speech in a U.S. high school in which he attacked the politically correct world of America and the education that was teaching them. There was no sense of right and wrong, no sense of competitiveness, no concept, he said, of reality in the real world. And he gave 11 rules. And the first rule was this, life is not fair, get used to it. That's a non-Christian speaking. It can appear like that. My elders particularly like rule 11. Be nice to nerds. Chances are you may end up working with one. That's their favorite. But when it comes to suffering and things going wrong, evil men or women seeming to get away with it or even prosper, let's not become the forensic legal elder brother who substitute 
law for grace. We live in a world which often doesn't add up as we would like it to be. And so often I can hear people, Christians, in their wisdom, saying to somebody who's suffering and struggling and going through misery, giving them some simplistic answer. If you just did that, I think God might be angry with you. I think there might be some sin somewhere. If you could understand how people so often as Christians, we can condemn those in the midst of struggling and suffering instead of just coming alongside and loving them and blessing them and saying, keep pressing on, dignify the trial, you're doing well. Keep going for it. I honour you. You're keeping blessing God, even though others all around you are having babies, even though others are being healed in Jesus' name. You're still praising God for that, and you're still holding on to God, even though it hurts. I honour you tonight. Well done. Let us, like Joseph, be clear about God's sovereignty. Let us have a high view of God's sovereignty. God is supreme. He has all authority, all wisdom, all power. And he is all good. We must celebrate with our lives and our coming together God's sovereignty over creation, over Satan's delegated rule, over sickness, over everything that goes wrong, disaster, We must honour him. Satan is real, full of hate. He hates the church, but he is under God's rule. He is chained. And God will make the final call. Even though we don't understand, even though you're struggling in the moment to understand God's purpose and will, he will have his purpose. He will dignify and glorify his name through your life if you submit and just flow with him. The temptation is to believe the devil's life and to get into grumbling, to get into complaining. To grow distant from his church and to distant from his mission. Tonight there is a loving invitation from our Father in heaven to say, come close, my children. In the midst of your pain, come close. God wants to meet with you. God wants to touch you. God wants to give you encouragement tonight. God wants to bless those lives who tonight feel like leaving this room, feel like weeping. You are under God's rule. It is God who makes the final call. And he says even to Moses, who made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God is on the throne. God is the one who sets limits even on Satan's activity. And God will glorify his name in your life. Now, of course, we pray for healing. Please don't go out here and say, we've just got to grin and bear it. Rubbish. You know, I've had the, the challenge of being healed of something and then going back into it after a year of being free. I was able to eat wheat. I was able to eat McDonald's. I was able to eat Cornish pasties and jam donuts. It was glorious for a year. And then it came back again. What's God doing? How many Christians gave me advice? I don't know. But I know he's on the throne. And I know he's good. And I know I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to keep believing God for healing. I'm going to keep stretching in faith for God to break in. In my life, as I stretch out in faith, to believe God breaking in on your life. In conclusion, let me say this. I love bookshops, as you've probably appreciated. I like libraries. I like books. And I like imagining God's library. If you ever walked in God's library, Row J is a good one. It's a great one. You start off, and you go, oh, look at this. We've got... Uh, 
Joseph. Good play. Oh, Jacob. Wow, Jonah. There's a lot of J's. When you start looking at Joshua, God, that's a fantastic album. But there is a section which actually is a whole library which is filling the whole earth. And it's under the name Jesus. It's the greatest story ever told. And it's to him we must look at the end of this conference because Jesus was the loved son of the Father. This is my beloved son. And his brothers rejected him. He came to his own. Those were his own, but his own did not receive him. He was falsely accused and thrown into a pit and left for dead. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows. He was sold for a few pieces of silver for the price of a common slave. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed Jesus. Joseph carried the future hopes of Israel with him. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Joseph was exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Joseph saved the people of God from disaster. He fed the world. Jesus ascended to his father's right hand. He poured out his Holy Spirit on his church. And he said to the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Holy Spirit is here tonight, poured out from Jesus at the right hand of the Father with that same commissioning power for his church and for his disciples. Tonight he wants to say it's time to go. For all of us, it's time to go. It's time to go back to our churches and make them better. It's time to go back to our elders and say, I want to make this church the very best it can be in this village, in this town, in this city. I'm with you, heart and soul. Will you do that for me? Will you do that for your elders, please? Can I hear an amen? Amen. I want you to do that. For many tonight, though, you're going to come and you're going to say, actually, I've I've seen the people from Portugal. I've seen, I've heard India. There are millions in darkness. And I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit tonight. And I'm going to give myself to mission. I'm going to give myself whatever the cost to the ends of the earth because I want my life to count for Jesus. And for still others amongst us, we've heard the word of God tonight about being full-time for God in our workplace. And some of us need to raise our profile in our workplace Some of us need to take authority in our workplace. There is anointing from heaven on everyone to do that. You're full time for Jesus Christ.